everybody, this is Bevan. Welcome to Bevan FM Over 40 and Her Friends Podcast. I'm your host, Bevan. I've said my name three times. It's time to start the show. Still don't know when I started saying that, but I kind of love it. Um, I am so excited to introduce you to Chrissy Tolley. Um, she's a psychic from Tucson, Arizona. She's super great at what she does. I find her, she calls herself a psychic sidekick, and I think that is so accurate. It's very much like having someone in your pocket who, like, has access to greater information than you do. Um, I really, truly believe everyone um, has psychic abilities in some capacity, but we're really trained in our society, especially Western cultures, uh, to ignore that or to suppress it, um, often to our own detriment. And I think a lot of you are probably on a path to discover what it is that you know what your gifts are. And I love um, talking to people who have delved into their gifts and have embraced their gifts about how they got to that place. I think that's a pretty common theme across my podcast, um, and I'm excited for you to learn more about Chrissy, and then also her very unique perspective on the world, um, both like I think as a psychic, of course, but then also as someone who really loves reality TV and is just like very relatable in that way. Um, she's a, an actual expert, I think, about The Bachelor. <laughs> So at the end of this episode, we talk at length about Love is Blind. So if you haven't watched that yet, put it on your watch list and listen to the episode up till we get to, we get to a point where we say there's going to be spoilers and then you're on your own. But um, I, I was inspired to do that too because some real smart people had told me, watch Love is Blind. It's better than all the other trash reality shows, but still trash. And, um, and then I did, like I was doing some really menial project and I got through all of it and I was like, I cannot believe I watched this, but everyone who had talked about it had talked about it on Instagram stories and everything disappeared. So I didn't have those smart people to cross reference with once I had my own opinions formed about that TV show. So that's really fun. Uh, but I also wanted to talk about before we get into the episode, I've really been digging into what the psychic people in my life who I, um, seek guidance from, right? Like there's a lot of people who are leaders in my life who are very successful professionally, who have lives that I want to have, um, who have impact that I want to have, or who, you know, for some reason I feel like they're really tapped into God or whatever. All of those people, I've been kind of like surfing their advice, just like absorbing what they're saying about what's going on with the coronavirus and our, our society as a whole, because this is clearly an unprecedented global event. But one thing that is so consistent across almost everyone, is that our task and something that we can really do and the universe really needs right now is to send good vibes. People say this in lots of different ways. Um, experiencing compassion towards other people, thinking about people and just having good thoughts about them, especially healthcare workers, people who are in domestic violence situations right now. Like There's a lot of suffering going on in our world, um, not the least of which is the sort of panic that people seem to be tapping into, right? But, like, people genuinely having a hard time right now, sending um, prayers and good vibes. I believe prayers have worked for me from others. I've felt it. Um, and I believe it works doubly for yourself. So whenever you're being generous and you're thinking about other people um, or doing something generous uh, or helpful... Uh, basically, the key to happiness is getting your eyes off yourself and focusing on other people. That is true. I've learned that from very successful, very happy people um, again and again. And I think it's true now more than ever. So just know that like something very powerful you can do is just hold space for other people. And if you have calm or joy or appreciation, 
be in that moment and then just send some out to somebody who might need it. Um, a great heart opener I like to do, and this is a physical thing you can do, is to just pretend to hug out in front of yourself. I'm literally doing it right now. I'm just holding my arms in a circle in front of my heart. Um, and just, it's like an air hug. Um, and that's a heart opener, so it opens up your um, your energy uh, moving forward. And then I do a Care Bear stare. I literally just think of my heart like a little rainbow gif out into the universe to wherever I'm sending it. So that's something you can do. Um, super easy and very, very, very powerful, especially right now. Um, and one more thing I've been hearing a lot from a lot of people, which is um, people want to know when this is going to get back to normal. There is no normal. The old normal no longer exists. We will never, ever have the same world again. This is a change point. This is something collectively we are experiencing. We will never be the same again. Um, there is no new normal. I think something my mentor told me tonight that was very powerful is that if you do not change during this time, the whole world will have changed and you will be further behind than you were. So... I don't want to say that to like stress anyone out. I just want to say it to inspire you to your personal growth. Like it today, I did not feel like dancing today, but I still did it because I have a commitment to dance every single day. And in fact, after I danced for like, I don't know, I think it was like dancing for 20 something minutes with a Brian Tanaka, one of my favorite choreographers, uh, did a live video. Anyway, whatever. Um, danced for 20 minutes felt so much better, but I couldn't. Act, I couldn't feel my way into acting that. I had to act my way into feeling. And so just know that, like, sometimes when you don't feel like you want to, that's the whole point of self-care is you do it even though you don't feel like you want to for the benefits that you know you're going to reap afterwards. And speaking of self-care, the very best way that you can support this podcast is by supporting my Patreon. Patreon is a website that is a membership site that allows creators like me to create exclusive content for folks like you. Um, my Patreon starts as low as five bucks and you get access to a special podcast of mini episodes. I've got Reiki healings in there. I've got personal stories of triumph, uh, how I work through stuff. Um, and I've got meditations, uh, a lot of fun uh, little nuggets about self-care and self-love um, that's really usable for you. I work hard to have it be usable. And also my flagship membership is the $25 a month for my weekly online aerobics classes. Um, I created Fat Kid Dance Party Aerobics for anybody who feels left behind by mainstream fitness. Um, I would describe my aerobic style as like the cheerful disposition of Richard Simmons, um, the glam and outrageousness of Miss Piggy with like the wisdom of someone who has really learned how to love their body and knows what it feels like to be, be clumsy on the dance floor and wants to make things simple. So that's kind of my jazz. Like there's no wrong way to do fat kid dance party. If you show up and you cheer along, you're doing it right. So you're doing fine. Um, and I have two people to welcome to my Patreon. Sarah from Sherman Oaks, California, is joining us as a Faculty Dance Party regular. Welcome, Sarah. And Dee from Richmond, Virginia, is joining us uh, in support of the Patreon. And I just appreciate you both so much, and I appreciate all of my Patreon supporters, past and present, for being part of helping me create... I think I'm doing some of the best aerobics of my life. Like this is, I'm, I'm just getting better and better. Like the art I'm making is so cool and I'm so excited to share it with you. And like, even in this Corona time with so many world-class choreographers, like aforementioned Brian Tanaka, um, doing free classes on the internet, I'm bossing up <laughs> like you wouldn't believe I'm learning so many new moves and like 
figuring out how the ways they teach it that's hard for me can be easier in how I teach it for my students. So anyway, I just hope that uh, you'll consider joining me. Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash F-K-D-P. And the link is in the show notes. And now it's on with the show. Chrissy Tally, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Bevan. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited to have you. Um, for those of you, I'm going to do a more formal intro on in the pre-roll, but just to introduce you right here, Chrissy Tolly is, I would call one of my psychic friends, uh, who is literally living and working as a psychic in Tucson, Arizona. Um, we met because, um, you came to a faculty dance party class and then invited me to have a reading while I was in Tucson. And I was like, as soon as that reading happened, I will always say yes to a psychic reading, by the way, but like, um, cause I'll give anything a try and I really believe in it. But then like our reading was just you're like, one of the good ones. Yeah. I mean, but your reading was like so spot on. I was like, oh yeah. And like when Chrissy reads, it's like eight tarot decks at once, which <laughs> it's is, true. It is a, <laughs> a wild process. I've seen no one else duplicate and so accurate and there's so much going on. And I've also had sessions with Chrissy now via phone and remotely and all just as spot on, if not more. And like, you were one of the first people I reached out to during this Corona apocalypse. To be like, What's going <laughs> <Yeah>. on? <laughs> and, and I mean, indeed. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm very flattered. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm very flattered to be one of your Mayday Mayday people, Bevan. Oh, yay. Well, you know, thanks for doing all the work you did to um, be able to be free with your gifts and share it with the world because so many people go to their graves with their gifts wrapped up inside them, which is sad and hard. And you, however, did not. Thanks, Bevan. I did try. (laughs) (laughs) I also had help. I had help. We all have help, right? Like nobody is an island. Humans are inherently social species. Um, I think as we're learning more and more, actually, with quarantine and having to stay home and not getting to be close to people or hug, like you take for granted the social things that you get to have on a day-to-day basis and um, we need each other. Yeah. Yeah. It's painful. Day 11, friends. Wait, what day are you, Bevan? I don't know. Um, my life is quarantine. So like the only difference valid, is valid. like I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to the store as much as I used. I think I used to go to the store twice a week and now it's once a week. Like... <laughs> Wow, this is a real sacrifice for you, is what you're saying. <laughs> I mean, I'm also taking wild precautions when I do go to town. Like, I'm smart. Um, and, like, and I don't, you know, I'm not near anybody. But, like, you know what? What a privilege to get to live in the forest. What a privilege to have already been used to cooking all my food for myself and, like, not doing delivery, right? Like, there's so many things that, like, I mean, people in cities, I guess, still have delivery. So, good for them. Um, Bevan's, Bevan's life, everybody, Bevan's life got destroyed so that she could prepare for the apocalypse. Yeah, I'm actually. convinced. <laughs> you said before we were talking, you said, I don't know anyone who's thriving in the, in Corona. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm thriving. I don't know. I don't. Oh my God, you are thriving. It's like uncertainty is like Tuesday for me. Like I've had a negative bank account balance for a couple of months because of some like disagreement with Chase over my movers, like getting rid of a bunch of my, or losing and stealing a bunch of my stuff and ruining a bunch of my stuff. And then Chase like reversed the charges, but then they reversed them back without talking to me about my side. So anyway, 
living in uncertainty is is just something I've been Femmes over 40 are thriving. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you've been through some things, you're like, well, okay. <laughs> yeah. A good way to put it. A good way to put it. But I also take it really seriously whenever I have um, the gifts of experience and the gifts of wisdom and the gifts of knowing where I can be of help. I don't. <laughs> play small. And even though my imposter syndrome is always quite large, I'm like, who am I to talk about this thing? Who am I to do this? I'm realizing, well, you know, I'm somebody to somebody out there because I am seeking out the wisdom and, and perspective of people I admire and enjoy online, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, always, yeah. Influencers, people who, I, and influencers I use very intentionally. I don't allow just anyone to influence me. I'm very intentional about who I go to. Um, mm -hmm. their words have been a comfort to me and I hope that my words are a comfort to somebody to whom my perspective is valuable. So yeah. Is that thriving being yeah. in office, right? I think so. Yeah. So, um, Chrissy, you are currently yes. in Tucson. Yes. I live in Tucson Uh huh. and have, uh, and have lived in Tucson most of my life. Oh, that's where you grew up too. Yes, absolutely. Oh, a desert rose. I, thank you. Thank you. I um, unsuccessfully left and came back twice. So I, got I guess out. I'm here for as long as we have water. <laughs> That's real. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's not even a joke. Yeah. <laughs> it was true before Corona and it's true now. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I am, I am in Tucson. Where did you try to move to? I don't think I know that. Ooh, this is a fun and also depressing story. Um, uh, I was, I lived in Los Angeles for like five months after I graduated from college because I wanted to write for TV and I still do write. I don't write for TV, but I do write. Um, and that was a very, as soon as it was like, as soon as my feet hit the pavement, when I got there, I was like, Oh, this is wrong. You know, when something's just wrong. Yeah. Weird. I did not have the temperament for that city. I did not have the drive for that profession. Just so many layers. Yeah. Um, and so I came home, which was ultimately the right choice. Uh, and then I moved to New Orleans in mid-2015 and was there for seven months. And that's actually a big part of my origin story. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Let's get into – okay, so let's, let's get into your origin story. And also, I want to hear a little bit about how you were growing up. Okay, sure. I'll do the gr growing up one first. Okay. Um, so before we, started, before we started the podcast, Bevan sent me a whole list of questions. And one of them was, were you different growing up? Because, because you are a professional psychic now. Were you different or were you the same as other kids? I was so mediocre, Bevan. I didn't do any <laughs> magic shit. Like, I didn't, like, I didn't, like, see ghosts. And so some people legitimately do, and many children do, right? But I didn't see anything. I didn't hear magic stuff. I mean, I was an emotionally intelligent kid from day one, right? And I very often, it's again, sort of hard to know if I just was like putting two and two together, if it was psychic, probably both. But, you know, I very often knew like things that were going on behind the scenes, um, just in general, like I was, you know, my mom would be like, we have to talk about this thing. And I even remember one time I was like five and she was like, this is what's happening in our family. I'm like, that's clearly what's happening in our family. Like, I'm not an idiot. <laughs> I just like had a very like conscious understanding of like why people were doing what they were doing. Um, but that's all right. 
I didn't have any like big ass magic other than being truly mentally unwell for most of my 20s. I didn't have very much magic shit happening to me until I was 25, 26. Oh. Yeah. Um, and how old are you now? 30. I just turned 30 last week. Wow. What a dramatic mid-20s you had. And I are bright. That was a turn. That was a turn. But yeah, that's, I think sometimes people are like, yeah, I don't know. I guess I would just ask if anybody's interested in this kind of work or interested in learning more about it for themselves. Like I, I wasn't special. <laughs> I wasn't special. I mean, you were special because everyone's special. But um, when you say you were mediocre, do you mean like you weren't, po you were neither popular nor unpopular. You were just kind of like skating through middle of the road. Like, Oh no, mediocre by mediocre. I'm specifically referring to like spiritual gifts, Oh, okay. you know, yeah. because very, when you were very often, when you speak with uh, professional mediums or psychics or what have you, they'll say, yes, this has been happening to me since I was very young or a really common, what I call origin story is people saying, well, I had all of these experiences as a young person. They made my life challenging or scary. I had to repress them in my like early teens. Right. Yeah. And during mid childhood, I repressed them. Then they came out. Um, those people like me always have often debilitating mental health issues um, because I believe mental health issues and spiritual gifts go together yeah. and might be the same thing. Um, so, but I, I'm just like, I don't have that very common story that you would hear most professionals talk about. Yeah. That's what I mean by mediocre. <laughs> I mean, I'll also say that I think that I hear often from people who are, you know, very professional, very well-known, world-famous psychics that had mental health stuff. Like the Long Island Medium, for example, had crippling anxiety. Um, yeah. That to her was her sign. That is, is to her now her sign that spirit's coming through. But like basically imagine you're a radio, but you're not tuned to the right frequency. So you're just constantly getting static, like, like coming to you, right? Like I feel like that your body interprets that in really weird and different ways. And I think sometimes that's like mental health stuff. Absolutely. I, I also think a lot of it, and this is, we don't have to go too far into this. I do think a lot of people who have these abilities, either they might be embedded and they might not know they have them, or they might like, like myself also like you be an active part of their daily life. A lot of those people had like a, like a cute, uh child abuse experiences mm. and um some of some of which they remember some of which they don't some of which they might not even understand are abusive right yeah. um but i so i think a lot of those people also like kind of come in with baggage <laughs> you know be that generational trauma be that past life stuff be that something they experienced when they were young but like it yeah it, i think it's a combo of here is the reality of having divine information course through your body as you were sort of referencing. Right. Yeah. And I, I, along with like, how did these sort of like, how did this sort of, in my opinion, DNA stuff get turned on the first place? Yeah. Well, probably from having a heightened nervous system. Yeah. And you I, know, so <laughs> that's I, my opinion. I mean, so mental illness stuff too is also a result of like cultural programming and 
a requirement of quote unquote normal that doesn't actually exist because humans are diverse on purpose. Like we are created yeah. because we each have a, a plan for our lives. We each have a gift we're meant to bring. And those purposes are not the same for everybody. And the fact that we have such a homogenous, like it's, it, we lust after homogeny in our human society, especially Western culture. Oh is, God, I know I have. Yeah. I still lust after it every day. And look, yeah. look at those people. Wow. <laughs> look at them go. <laughs> exactly. Look at how peaceful and happy they are. It's like getting married to a man and having and living that life and being how as delightful. Them. <laughs> Every time I try to be normal, I almost kill myself. Yeah, me too. Actually. <laughs> the last time I tried to have a nine to five job, which like as a lawyer, it's really a nine to nine job. Um, I was literally like every time waiting for the train, like contemplating suicide. And I was like, this is not right. This is not how I'm supposed to live. Like, and yep. I didn't realize it about the job. I think, I think like I was thinking it was my relationship with my boss, which was very toxic, which is true also. But like, it's just like every time I try to conform, I, I would get suicidal. And then when I realized, okay, you get to be different and weird and that's okay. And like, my different and weird was like definitely away from mainstream. And I think some people's different and weird, they can still mask it and kind of float like they're normal or regular, like, mm -hmm. normal. but I think also the mental health stuff stems from this lust for productivity that capitalism creates where everyone has uh, to yeah, absolutely. make money and be a consumer. And like, that's it. Some people thrive in simple conditions. I'm thriving. I'm not you know, I'm, I'm living off of about 1100 bucks a month. Like that's not a lot, but like, it's enough to live here and I'm, I'm thriving. Like it's all perspective, right? Yes. But most people Absolutely. don't feel that way about that level of money. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. but, but yeah. that's like, that's most people. And this is me and this is my journey and it gets to be what it is. And my mental health thrives because I can choose to spend my time how I want. So also Chrissy keep telling us about growing up and the fateful move to New Orleans that kind of like. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, well, speaking of like having a sort of quote traditional job. Right. And I mean, I do think there are many magical people because I think magic is genetic and many of us carry it. Right. So there are many, clearly there are many magical people in the world who have, who traditionalized. Right. Yeah. Uh, but my last attempt at true to true tradition was um, I went to grad school for a year. I did an accelerated master's program in education to get my teaching certification. Um, and I had moved to New Orleans to work for a public school in Metairie, Louisiana, which is just outside of New Orleans. And um, when I got, if you've been to New Orleans or if you are there, there's, a, there's an understanding that it is a spiritually active place. Um, and as a combo of having moved really far away where I didn't really know anybody starting my first, first real or formal year of teaching, which is hell for anybody who's ever done it, <laughs> regardless of where you are, what the conditions are, I think. Um, and then being in a really, really spiritually active place and being a lot more spiritually active than I even understood at the time, I became really depressed and I had had, you know, I, I've been, I was put on SSRIs when I was 18. I've been in therapy since I was 18. You know, I'm very open with people about the fact that I'm a childhood sexual abuse survivor, like blah, 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 yada, yada. Right. But I became really mentally unwell. And the, I guess the good news is I it didn't affect my job. I wasn't hurting the, you know, 
I was doing as best I could as an instructor and as a teacher. And I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't like evil to the children, but I mean, my, the people who I was socializing with in New Orleans, um, especially a dear friend of mine who I, I had moved to New Orleans with were really seeing me like just completely unravel in a, like a really, on a much higher and scarier level than I ever had before. Um, and it was really weird. So I went home. So I'm, I'm about 25 at this point. I go home to Tucson from New Orleans for Thanksgiving break. It's the first time I've been back since I had moved. I moved in July. And I already at this point had a plan to kill myself. I already at this point was like, this is what's best for my friends in New Orleans. This is what's best for my family. This is what's best for my students. Like I was just in that spot where I was like, I know that the, the that, that, that spot that people get it, right? The most moral choice is for me to not be here, right? And like the way that I can be like the best or kindest person is by removing myself from this equation. So I go, I go home for Thanksgiving. My mom picks me up from the airport and she can just see something is wrong. I mean, like I look like a shell of my former self. And um, I ended up calling the therapist who I had been seeing not for very long in New Orleans and saying, you know, I basically was like, Hey, I have a plan. Like I'm, I'm going to enact this plan and I'm getting scared. So I'm going in and, you know, suicidal ideation really can only last in a, in a intense way for about, I, I think it's the, it's like th to three hours or something. Right. <laughs> like, like there's a science to this. I don't know what it is. Uh, but I, and she was like, you need to get, you need to get yourself hospitalized. So I went to a place in Tucson here called, um, the crisis response center. There's a lot of similar mental health kind of like holding spaces. Um, in other cities in the United States. And, and um, it was so, it, it was so funny because the, I remember I was sitting with the psychiatrist who was this really sweet, probably Jewish man. <laughs> and he was like, I was like, well, the thing is, I like, he was like, why do you want to kill yourself? And I was like, because I'm a failure. And he goes, you're 25. You're not even old enough to be a failure. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's nice. even if you're not doing a suicide intervention. Like, 25 is. I think 40 is too old to be a failure. Like, like uh, truly, like, what? You're not even old enough to be a failure. You know. So basically, these very nice social workers and psychiatrists give me Prozac, as they damn well should. I'm good for them. You know, they give me Prozac. They make sure that I'm kind of off of a ledge. And a day and a half later, they let me go home. Literally one of the social workers, I'm not even kidding. She, this woman saved my life. One of the social workers was like, I really think you're participating in self-pity. Like not even kidding. Like she called me. She called me the fuck out. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, you're right. <laughs> so I, I basically, I decide I, I, I connect with my, the principal and vice principal at the public school back in New Orleans. I decide to resign because I'm genuinely afraid of going back to where I lived um, because where I lived was so, you know, connected to this plan I had. And I was still at the time wasn't totally convinced I wasn't going to do it. Yeah. So it works out, you know, they, they were able to find another teacher because it was the winter break, blah, blah, blah. So I'm home in Tucson. I start working. This is some nepotism. I start working for my aunt and my uncle. My uncle was an orthopedic surgeon. My aunt was a nurse who also ran, ran his office. Right. And this is when I make an appointment with a shaman. Yeah. This is when shit gets interesting. So I, his name, um, a dear friend of mine back in Tucson actually like made appointments for him. His name was Don Pedro Gonzalez. He was originally from 
uh, Central Mexico. I, I actually don't know specifically where. Um, Michoacan, I don't know. And he came from like a long ass lineage of shamans. And he lived in New Mexico, but he would travel around kind of the Southern United States um, seeing clients, right? So I had seen him once before and he, and he does, you know, these, uh, uh, what is essentially like an exorcism, like a healing slash exorcism. I, that's my best word for it as a white Catholic person, right? So I, I had seen him once before and it was a really healing and, and profoundly healing experience. And my friend Allie who worked for him said, hey, Don Pedro is going to be in town again. I think you need this. And I was like, sure. So I go to Don Pedro, who's this very sweet just Mexican-American man. He looks like, you're in California, so you're not in Arizona. He looks like a papa, which is the Mexican word for like a uh, grandpa. Like he has like a button down. He truly just looks like kind of a Mexican cowboy grandpa, uh -huh. right? Like he has a long braid down his back and like a plaid button down shirt, like tucked into jeans, like wearing a belt, like a leather belt, like just the sweetest man. He's probably like 72. Uh -huh. And he looks at me and he just goes, oh God. Like he just looked into my eyes and he, like, I, I remember feeling so sad at that moment because I was like, I really thought I was getting better. He's like, this is terrible. So he like basically performs an exorcism on me. He's like, this is not your sadness. We're going to get it out. We're going to solve the problem. And I was like, okay, I'm barely functioning as a human at this point. I've only been in back home for like a month and a half. Um, I quit my job. I'm a complete failure. I'm like, cool. I've abandoned all of these children. So he performs this exorcism on me and then he sits me down and I, we can talk about the details about later, but I'm already taking too long to tell the story. He yeah. sits me down and he goes, you know, sometimes he goes, sometimes I have to give people messages. And I was like, okay. <laughs> He's like, he was like three days ago, I went to the bank because I needed to deposit a check and spirit told me that I needed to go up to the woman who was at the teller and tell her that, tomorrow everything would be okay and he was like and I really didn't want to do it because I needed to get home but I, I did it so he goes up to this woman who's you know about to leave the bank and apparently he says to her everything will be okay tomorrow she immediately starts sobbing because she had just taken all of her money out of the bank because she was going to kill herself Aww. and she was going to give the money like to her family and like leave it with her suicide note right it's like this is for you I'm so sorry right he was like this, th and he literally tells me this story and then says, this is going to start happening to you. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, just the shirt on Pedro. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, all right. The next day, Bevan, first of all, I'm not just magically not depressed anymore. Right? Yeah. Just magically not fucking depressed anymore. I'm sure the Prozac was helping. But, you know, suddenly I feel like a completely different person. And I start having to go up to people in stores. And I, you know. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is a goddamn nightmare. Like, really, like, it's, it's a fun story. But when you think about this from the perspective of I almost killed myself. I was briefly, briefly, briefly in a psychiatric holding center. I went to the shaman and now I have to go up to people at a store and give them messages from God. This is a nightmare. So. Uh, naturally, I'm living with my mom again at this point. I'm working for my aunt. All of my friends, understandably, are worried as hell about me. I'm worried that I'm schizophrenic, but the information I keep giving people in these stores is so accurate that they're like crying and happy and whatever that I'm like, this, you know, I feel crazy, but clearly what's happening is not an accident, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a lot better than wanting to die. So much better. I mean, it's uncomfortable to talk to strangers, but it's great. <laughs> 
Because you can, I mean, even just having a conversation with a stranger can brighten their day. Like some people don't have a conversation with another human all day long. Like that's just their life. And like, right. Let alone me walking up in the store being like, hi, um, I need to tell you something. I'm supposed to tell you your mom's going to be fine. And then she's like, oh my God, she was just in surgery yesterday. I'm like, this is, why is this my life? Yeah. Um, and so then the dead people started probably like a week and a half later, the dead people started. And for the record, I don't see to this day, I was saying that I didn't see, you know, dead people or I didn't see spirits or I didn't see like demons or anything as a young person. I still don't, I don't see shit because I think they know I would be scared out of my mind. So it's just to briefly describe mediumship. It's just an understanding that something is with me or around me, or if you're, if you're not doing your boundaries correctly in me. Uh-huh. Right. Good boundaries. And you gotta have spiritual boundaries, friends. And so, you know, that's, that's what I said. So all of a sudden, the reason it had started is because uh, an old family friend of ours suddenly died. Just, and she really, like, it was so fucking sad. She was, she's my mom's age, dies out of fucking nowhere, right? Like, has a heart complication, boom, dead. And she visits me and she was like, I need, you know, I need you to tell my son this. And I'm like, still think I'm crazy. I'm like, ah! <laughs> So suddenly I'm telling my mom, suddenly I'm telling my aunt who I work for, suddenly my whole family knows. My father is like, are you sure you're not schizophrenic? You know, like, and it just kind of kept going. I had already owned two what are called oracle decks or angel cards uh, by a Scottish guy. Some of, some of you may know of named Kyle Gray. He specializes in, in, he's like an angel medium, super talented. I had already owned those decks and I was already working with them before I went to New Orleans because I was really compelled by it. So I had already been reading about all these things, but very much as a novice, right? Not any, not with any understanding or intention of becoming good. So I had these two angel decks and then it became very clear. Oh, well, I just need to give people readings with these cards. Fine. Right. Yeah. And it just kind of started from there. Um, then I, I started my, formally started my business in July, 2017. Once I started giving people formal like readings, I did that. I did what I called an apprenticeship for about a year. Uh, apprenticeship is when you, you're not, you're, you're working and you're putting forth effort and you're like doing it formally, but you're not getting paid, right? Uh, six months to a year, I'd say. Um, and then I started my business in July, 2017. That's that. <laughs> that's how I have failed twice to live anywhere that's not here. <laughs> um, okay, so... What made you decide to shift from doing store readings to um, <laughs> hanging a shingle and go and opening yourself up to people who are seeking answers? Um, I got, I started to get, uh, I, first of all, I started to get really freaked out and frustrated with the going up to people randomly in public thing because it's scary and alarming. Um, so I kind of made a deal with, whoever it was, it was working with me, which I would later figure out was my guardian angel and various guides or what have you. I was like, I'm not going to do this shit anymore. You, <laughs> I'm like, you guys got to give me a formal sitch. And they were like, okay, use your cards then. Here they are. You've had them for three years already. And I'm like, okay. Um, what actually formally made me do it? I think it was just an understanding that that was what I was supposed to do. And because I hadn't killed myself and because that was still so fresh in my brain, really as being an option, right? I really obsessively threw myself into the, the craft of it all because in my mind, my understanding was, well, if I'm not going to, if I haven't died and if the only reason I didn't die was to do this, then I better, and this is 
my capitalist perfectionism shit talking, I better be really good at this, right? If my only, if my only reason for still being here and sort of getting a pass is so that I can help people, I'm going to help people better than anyone's ever helped people before. <laughs> you know, like I, I just became really obsessive about it. Um, and I, I have a really, just naturally I have a really strong work ethic. Um, and so I just became focused as hell. Um, and it's part of why, in spite of the fact there was a lot of, you know, social pressure, or my fam my friends didn't understand, my family didn't understand, you know, like I, um, that sort of quote calling, I guess, really pushed me through. That's awesome. It's awesome too, that you kind of, so first of all, I love that your origin story involves a shaman and a shamanic healing. Um, <laughs> I don't think like someone who's like, you know, there's just not that many people I know in my life who see shamans who aren't already like magical or like in tune or like open. So I'm just curious mm -hmm. what made you, so, cause you had said you had seen him before you even had this like breakdown in New Orleans. Like, yes. What brought you to that? Well, I think I've always been spiritually inclined. You know, I think I've, I've always found these things, you know, I've, I've had tarot readings. I went to psychic readings. I always thought this stuff was just really fascinating. And I would even have you know, various readers or psychics be like, you're going to do this work. And I was like, okay, cute. Right. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm like, in what world? Right. Um, but no, no, I don't know. Am I answering the question? I think, I think I've always felt as a combo of being a very emotional person. And also as somebody who grew up you know, 13 years Catholic school, right like the traditional structures, much as I respect and care for medicine and even Western medicine in the ways that it's helped me and the way that it helps lots of people. I've always known, I'm like, well, there's another element that's not quite getting it, yeah. right? There's another element and particularly to my own mental health struggles that is not just being addressed by talk therapy or by medication. Mm -hmm. And I knew that. And so for me, really, it's probably, it was just a survival thing. It was probably a desperation thing, if I'm honest, Bevan. It was an, a sort of subconscious awareness that there was a whole other layer to mental health healing that I wasn't getting. Yeah. And so it wasn't so much like this, was, it's not just, oh, this is my calling. It was also me being an incredibly depressed, you know, person at 21. <laughs> Being like, well, this can't, is this why? Is this it? <laughs> That's sad. So um, the beginnings of it were probably me being really desperate for, for help and answers and for healing and w where I wasn't finding it. Yeah. And I just, I was asking that because I think a lot of people are hesitant to try like magical healing or things that don't make sense to them on a rational level because sure. they're validated by our society that's obsessed with Western medicine. And, um, I just want to say for anyone out there, like if you feel inclined to try something out, try it out. And like, if you don't know who to go to, I would say like, first ask your friends, like who you trust mm -hmm. or spiritual and connected because they'll know the people. But if yes. your friends don't have it, Yelp is a really good resource. Cause like most people oh, truly, yeah. Yeah. Most people feel very warm and strong feelings towards the healers they use and will write genuine mm -hmm. reviews and you can hear that in the words and know totally yeah and and also every psychic is gonna have or psychic shaman healer reiki master acupuncturist restaurant is gonna have a few negative reviews because people didn't jive with them and so never take 
the negative reviews, take it all holistically, but like, there's always going to be a couple cause like people just don't understand and, or don't connect and that's okay too. Cause it's yeah. not always- Here, And here's the thing I would, I would send everybody who I've ever met to Don Pedro Gonzalez if I could. Um, and, but of course then Don Pedro Gonzalez up and died. Oh, he man. died like, right. Fuck. So that's, I think another part of what pushed me toward, toward the work, actually, I know it did, is the fact that this man who truly, I, I believe was a gifted gift, like, well, let me, let me make sure that I'm clear when I say this. He, I believe that he operated as what is called a gift catalyst, which means that he flicked a lot of switches on in me that were dormant, probably. Yeah. Uh, and I also think he was an insanely talented exorcist. Um, that's not the word, obviously, that they would use in his culture. <laughs> you know, that's that's my, and that's my highest goal. Um, I don't love the word shaman because there's a lot of issues with the word shaman. But my highest goal is to do what he did, and uh, it just became really clear. Oh, this is my job. Yeah, I think that sometime between. Yeah. Oh, I, I I think it's interesting to talk about shamanism, both as like a because shamanism is indigenous and it's also like in culture and it's always, and it's like culturally related, but also there is a magic that doesn't cease to exist because the cultures are eradicated and like that stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, I don't identify as a shaman, even though I use a lot of shamanism in the work I do for same reasons. Like I don't Mm -hmm. think it's my cultural word to use. Um, but I also don't think the medicine um, needs to disappear. And I think it's actually like truly an important torch to carry, but like as a white woman who's spiritual, I try to be super careful about how I exist and who, like how I talk about that kind of stuff. And, um, and I don't like hang a shingle as that. I just incorporate it into the work and I, you know, I talk more. That's that's mostly why I use the word exorcist, (laughs) right? Because I'm like, well, you know, if you, I went to Catholic school for 13 years. I earned the right to use the word ex- exorcist, Absolutely. you know, uh, whereas shaman is such a, shaman, shaman is such a complicated term um, yeah. that I'm not even really educated enough to speak to why it's so complicated, but he really was a shaman <laughs> yeah. and, um, and he saved my life. And so between now and when I die, my basically one goal in life is to be able to certainly not in the same way or with the same practices because they're not mine, but is to get as good as he was Yeah. At, at removing entities, protecting people, healing, and um, hopefully healing mental illness in particular. Yeah. And like, do you still, can I ask if you still use SSRIs or anything like that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I still do. I've been on various SSRI. <laughs> what SSRI haven't I been on, Devin? Um, I've been, I've used, I've been on SSRIs for 11 years. No, that's a lie. 12. I just turned 30. 12. I've been on SSRIs for 12 years. I myself personally, it's actually interesting we're talking about it, but of course we are. Um, right before the Loki apocalypse. That's what I'm calling it. Is it the apocalypse? No. Is it Loki the apocalypse? Yes. Right before the Loki apocalypse, I had met with my psychiatrist. I was on 20 milligrams of Prozac and have been since I saw that psychiatrist at that psychiatric holding center. And um, 
I've been on the same dosage. So I just was like, I know I'm ready to go down. I know I'm ready to go down. And she was like, okay, you, here's 10. And I was like, all right. So I've been on 10 for like two weeks and I'm doing great, you know, and I, that's awesome. And maybe eventually after all this gets handled, which, which I hope it does, I'll be able to go to zero, but maybe I'll go to zero and be like, this is shit and I hate it and stay at 10 for a long time. I don't know. I just am not a person who believes that uh, spiritual gifts are um, impaired by psychiatric meds. Yeah. I think certain types of spiritual gifts can be. I think people who carry the burdens slash gifts of certain types of diagnoses that I'm sure is true for me and my particular system, that is not true. Yeah. For me and my particular system, particularly living in a capitalist society and running a business alone, I need SSRIs for me to do my job. Yeah. You know, that's just for me personally. I think that's great. And I'm glad we're talking about this because I think there's, um, I mean, I personally find no stigma in people doing what they need to do to feel like they can thrive in, in where we are, right? Like, I would love for our society to be like open and welcoming and a great supportive home for everyone in all of our diversity, but it's not, you know, and like, mm -hmm. I mean, people take it to like balance brain chemistry and people take it to also just like experience the world and function. Right. And like, yeah. And I just, I kind of wish there were more places where people could just go and retreat and heal rather than like having to feel like they have to function. Cause sometimes our healing <laughs> involves yes. like, breaking fully open <laughs> and uh sure yeah yes but let's yeah yeah and that's the thing I was lucky enough if I had been in different circumstances you know like if I had not had the money to move home to Tucson right if I had not had the ability to live with my mom for four months if I if my aunt hadn't hired me right because mm -hmm. I was doing reception work and then eventually I did medical billing work which as any teacher can tell you, I'm no offense to the receptionists and medical billers out there is 40 times easier than teaching. Mm -hmm. So she just knew I would be competent and be able to do it. And I was, and I did a good job. Right. But nobody else would have fucking hired me, <laughs> yeah. you know? So I, I, I guess, you know, it, it's probably worth saying, and we don't have to spend a ton of time on it, but the ability I had to sort of really unravel inside of capitalism was so was so reflective of the ways that my family supported me you know um that's all <laughs> just wanted to say that <laughs> no absolutely and I also had wanted to talk to you um I forget how I phrased the question to you but basically I wanted to talk about like um building your business like I feel mm -hmm. like you're um it's it's just I find it really incredible to watch other people chase a dream and make it happen and like for me it's like every dream that mm -hmm. becomes that that comes true or people who achieve the goals they set out to be it makes a thousand possible and like so for me it's like always like oh Chrissy like went from like just kind of trying this out to her books are scheduled out for like five weeks at a time like and that's that's a big moment mm -hmm. like, like you bossed up so much in the last couple of years um with this business it's it's been great to watch and I'm just curious if you can talk about that journey and like also you frequently talk about like your privileges and how that kind of like intersects with that. Um, and I think it's helpful to talk about that stuff because not everybody knows it. Um, mm -hmm. right? So will you just yeah. talk about like how you created the business just from a business standpoint, like um, in that journey? Sure. 
Right. I think the biggest, beyond even just having, uh, like, what, yeah, what Bev, just for context, what Bevan is referring to is that very often on my Instagram or in my social media stories, I'll sort of reference something that has happened in my life and remind my followers, particularly the followers I have who are interested in doing the work that I do that, well, okay, the reason I was able to be successful so quickly, because I started my business and a year and a half later, I was full time, which is pretty unheard of, right? Um, at least for a service-based business in a weird industry. <laughs> um, the, but the reason I was able to do that versus how long it might take somebody else, like three, four, five years was because not only am I obsessive, that's one very real thing, uh-huh. um, but I also there have been times my family's just monetarily helped me out and I can list all of those ways. Right. Um, now they're not like paying my bills, but it doesn't matter because <laughs> if I have one step up and I'm strategic, which I am, I'm a naturally good business person. I can use that one small thing I was given to affect my life and my business in a bunch of positive ways. Right. So the, probably the biggest thing I did that I noticed other people don't do, and I'm talking specifically about my industry is when I started my business in July of 2017, I immediately started charging $75 an hour. Now I did a lot of sales, right? Like I, there were definitely ways that it, but I was just like, okay, if I want to make this a real thing, I, I have to go in just blazing right out the gate. I'm not willing to sort of do what I see a lot of people on social media doing. And it's not bad, but it's just, it's a different strategy. They're sort of like, Oh, now you're interested. Let me know. I was like, no, we're, we're coming hot. I needed to to people almost through just complete terror even that I was legitimate for them to believe I was legitimate. Right. And so I just came in being like, I'm $75 an hour. Here's my website. It looks amazing. I invested to make it look amazing. Let's go. I see a lot of people who do spiritual work and there's nothing wrong with it. Because again, I had, you know, my grandparents had given me and my cousins, to be clear, $2,500 that Christmas. Mm. It was the first, it was the first year. So I won't go into too much detail, you know, just in case the IRS is listening. Right. But they started giving us that about that much money about four years ago over Christmas. And now my grandma has died and we probably won't get it anymore. Right. But basically I took that money and I was like, this is my, this is how, this is for my website. This is for the beginning of my business. Right. That's not a small amount of money. It's not, it's actually a powerful amount of money and also can be small depending on how you live and like how your money is. Sure. Um, Right. So I I basically just took Right. I, I do live in Tucson and that's a big yeah. part of why I've been able to go full time so quickly is because I live in a, you know, lower rent, whatever city. But basically I, I really came in hot and I sort of just faked it until I made it Yeah, in a lot of ways. And I was really willing to be, I think a big difference between me and the average person is that I'm really willing to be publicly humiliated mm. um, much more than the average, I notice white cis person. Mm. I'm really willing to look, I'm really willing to um, be laughed at and made fun of and be mocked. Most people are not willing to do that. People, queer people of color, et cetera. They're like, no, we know that. <laughs> we know exactly what that is, right? Like they grew up having those experiences, but people like me who didn't have those experiences, like I just was so much more willing to just be like, cool, everyone's going to laugh at me. 
And it was really painful because it was really the first time and really the only time, if I'm honest, that I've ever like sort of big quotes here, othered myself. Yeah. Right. And it's not this, it's not, it's not an othering akin to race. It's not an othering at all akin to uh, sexuality. It's nothing near that serious, but I, that's what I did. Yeah. And like, (laughs) you know what, if you're the kind of person who like, you know, you're, you're growing up and you're experiencing like, you know, the knowing that you're queer. Um, and I mean, queer, like sexually are also different, right? Like mm-hmm. when you know you're different, like that is a thing where it's, it's almost for me, like it was like a compulsion. Like I want, I couldn't not be honest about myself for one more second. And like, yeah. and, that, and like once I did the first wave of coming out, like everything else got a lot easier. But for me, it also took me time. Like I've been coming out to myself as psychic for years and like, it's taken me time to embrace it. Part of my low key um, goals in moving to LA was to really foster my psychic abilities and see what was, what could happen for me when I wasn't surrounded by other people's energy all the time. I found it really Mm -hmm. like ultimately very toxic to live in an apartment building um, and so that's why, like, when we moved to LA, it was very clear to my partner who was moving me out there, we will never live in an apartment. Like we can't, because I need to mm-hmm. be in a more expanded space. And that's, that's a choice mm-hmm. I'm making to leave this city. And so that I'm entrusting you to make sure that we stay in a house and not in an apartment. And so it was part of that. Cause I wanted to see like what happens for me expanding my awareness, but like, even still, like, I think only in the last year have I really started super being open about like psychic stuff and, um, you know, my gifts and things like that. So it is like a form of coming out and like the choice to be seen as different when it's a more mutable thing, right? Like people at the grocery store don't necessarily need to know you're psychic unless you have a message for them, (laughs) in which case (laughs) I don't, I don't experience it. I think, I think totally. yeah and I yeah. it's a very it's a very selective right it's a very selective sort of like othering right which is and not nearly as the, the consequences of it particularly as like a white thin woman yeah. are so much less dire right for me and um yeah so it's just I, I think a lot of the difference to sort of like conclude like I think a lot of the difference is I was just like really willing to like I was deeply terrified, but I also was like, my goal is more important than anything. And frankly, like for at the risk of sounding bananas, but it's again, was tied into that idea of, in my opinion, God is asking me to do this. I'm getting like, I don't really have a choice. I would rather do something like this and be mocked and laughed at and belittled and feel very alone or isolated than be suicidal. Yeah. That's how the stakes felt to me. That's how they still feel to me. You know? Yeah. Do you think that the amount of people that you felt mocked at, belittled by, or othered is far less than the people that you've helped at this point? At this point, oh, yeah. At this point, it doesn't matter. I will say for the first year of my business, which would have been July 27 to July 2018, it was not a fun time. You know, and a lot of this is just about me being like very sensitive and a people pleaser. Mm. A different personality. I am a Pisces, yeah. Yeah. A lot of people probably would have handled that really differently, but I can get really sort of victim mode-y 
I can get very like, they don't like me. Like I can get <laughs> just very dramatic in that way, frankly. So uh, even though I wasn't terribly vocal about it, you know, I definitely felt a lot of my friendships changed. All of my family relationships changed, blah, blah, blah. So I will say the, the social sort of fallout was really painful for me. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, I just know I made the right choice. And the people who, are, who had, had really understandable doubts at the time, because, you know, oh, well, Chrissy's suicidal. And now she says she talks to angels. <laughs> That's a switch. Um, so I, it, was, it was worth it. And the people who are supposed to be in my life at this point very much are. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know what? That's a thing that I have gone through multiple times, not even just about being psychic, just about vibing out and growing beyond the people who I was with uh, and connecting to. And it's incredibly mm -hmm. painful to like grow away from people and or to grow yeah. and change relationships. But like our truth is born in our conflicts and our truth is born uh, from continuing <sighs> to pursue. That's a good way to put it who we're meant to be. And I think a lot of conflict avoidance, and I say this as a person who is still learning how to not avoid conflict and to embrace it, um, is honesty because we're afraid of the truth. And the truth is so scary because we can always measure what we'll lose and we can never measure what we'll gain. And there's always a gain on the other side of your truth. That was beautifully put, Bevan. Thank you. Not necessarily my words. It's kind of a, an interpretation of Michael Bernard Beckwith. But... <laughs> You know. Well, I'd never heard it and I appreciate it. Good. I'm glad, I'm glad to transmit that. Also, let's talk a little bit about angels. I know I didn't send that question ahead of time, but like, I, yeah, I feel like when I talk to people in grocery stores, like connecting to strangers, to me, it's like activating an earth angel part of me. Like I always mm -hmm. trust our conversation and I usually just let it roll out, but I always just trust the conversation to bring up something that it, it's just connecting. You know what I mean? It's like just allowing... Mm -hmm. God to use me in whatever way I'm meant to be used in this conversation, connecting with this person. And I also really believe that everyone comes to earth with like angel in them. Like, I think that's part of the human soul quantum soul mm. situation. And I feel like we mm -hmm. get I mean, some more than others, but like, I feel like we all have something that can be activated in us to be a blessing to someone else in like ways that are, and we all have these stories where it feels little to us, but it's huge to someone else. And like, where we're just in the right place at the right time. And yeah, I don't know. So I'm curious like, what your experience with angels are and like how those influence your work. Sure. I, um, so I had become really interested in working with angels or in angelic connection, as I had mentioned, like, like probably two to three years before any of this crazy stuff went down. Um, and I just really at the time I attributed it to not feeling safe in any way, shape or form identifying as a Christian for lots of very normal reasons. Um, but also still feeling really compelled by some of that theology or that cosmology. And that for me felt like a really safe resting place for a while. Like it's like, Oh, this thing, this sort of th this idea of like being able to pray to certain angels who do certain things, right. Kind of like smaller deities. Okay. Or like, right. You know, something like that, like felt really safe and really accessible to me. Mm -hmm. um, and a nice intersection of, of how I sort of saw the world. Now, at the same time, I very much ascribe to something that I, as a joke, called choose your fighter. Uh, and choose your fighter is just the understanding that everybody from various cultures or walks of life or, or backgrounds or religious experiences or geographic areas has their own set of 
deity figures that they can tap into. Mm. I'm, I'm pretty loose about my definition, but I do consider myself a Christian. But I don't consider animism or, you know, African gods or Allah or anything else to be any less real. You know, I think all of those things are real. I hang out in the sort of Christian mystic world because that's what I was given for this go around. That's what I was given for this lifetime. And I have to believe that it's for a reason, right? So for me, I could go and do, for example, if, if it were okay with the people who were there, you know, some sort of African ritual or whatever, right? And because that's objectively magic, because that's the manipulation of energy for a common goal to get a, a certain outcome, would it work? Yeah. Do I think that that same thing would work as well as me, as well for me as someone who comes from that genetic lineage? No. I think it would work better for that person. Yeah. Does this make sense? Totally. Fully. Right. So I, I always work, but like the people for whom it's like tuned for, it works best. Right. So I really ascribe to this idea of these are my angels. And I talk to angels constantly and I pray to angels constantly. Like I really do. Um, I use the words, I honestly, honest to God, I just chose the word psychic because marketing wise, it was smart. <laughs> it's true. More people know. It's what the only reason. More people, if you're like, I'm an intuitive counselor, people are like, okay. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Even though I know what that is, but the person on the street isn't going to know what that is, right? Um, anyway, so choose your fighter is just this understanding, as I sort of say, of I ascribe to certain Christian traditions and beliefs. When I do magic, because I do consider myself a Christian witch, again, a very weird sort of corner. But when I do magic, some of what I do is sort of hoodoo inspired, which is from the American Sal right? Simply because that is the best intersection for me of basic ass uh, earth magic combined with Christianity. Mm. So that's why I do that. I have explored Wiccanism. I have explored even Druidism because I'm a very Irish Catholic person and I have a lot of interest in those things, but they don't resonate for me as much as the sort of intersection of magic and Christianity, which in my opinion is really connected to angels. Yeah. So that's sort of why I hang out in that realm, right? But I'm not, but I have, you know, Muslim clients. I have clients from, I, I have. Jewish clients. I have all kinds of fucking clients. <laughs> Haitian clients, you know, like I'm not going to use that same language with them because that's not appropriate in my opinion. Right. But they're just choose your fighter. It's all the same concept. These are mine. You yeah. know, that's all. Have you, have you been back to New Orleans since you left? Uh, yes. I went back once in, it was actually the same month I started my business. And, um, that felt really cool. Oh, sorry. I'm looking out the window and I just watched my cat bring a large gecko into the house. That's special. <laughs> oh, your cat loves you. Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm going to deal with that later. Um, I, I went back to New Orleans in early July, 2017. It really felt like a, a, like a homecoming of sorts. That's not a town. I personally think that New Orleans operates as its own entity. Yes. Um, and part of the reason I'm so affected by hoodoo is because really I was very imprinted by my short time there. Right. Um, but 
New Orleans is not a town that wants me in it long-term. Yeah. It kicked me out. Right. That's okay. I'm not taking it personally. It's just, I'm not, they're like, you're not supposed to be here. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Cause it decides who it wants in and who it wants out. Yeah. Oh my God. I totally get that. Um, right. So, so I, New Orleans and I are dear friends, but I don't live there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm glad to hear that you've been back though. Cause I was curious if like, um, your sort of unfoldment happened and then you were able to kind of like protect your energy more when you went back. And, and, and the funny thing is I'm, I was supposed to go with my partner to see that same friend who I moved with and other friends of ours on April 1st. And now we're not going on that trip. <laughs> <laughs> I sincerely hope I can go in the fall. Ugh, my goodness. There's something about the Southland in the springtime though, to quote the end. Right? Yeah. Uh, the magnolia trees. We'll just, I love have it. This year. we'll just have pictures this year. Um, Chrissy, this is a great time to lean into the Corona situation. Like, will mm-hmm. you tell us like about, you know, your kind of sense for what's going on. Um, some things that like have come through you, like, I don't know, tell us your Corona wisdom and like, Oh man. You know, also like best practices for people during this like Corona time of stillness. Sure. Um, I guess to clarify, it's, it's wisdom that is coming through me, but wisdom I really struggle to operate within (laughs) as a human. Uh, yeah. Okay. I will say, um, so what, uh, what is today, Bevan? It's the 23rd, March 23rd, 2020. 24th. Sorry about that. Okay. It's the 24th, March 24th, 2020. Um, by April 1st, we're going to see a really large shift in our country. Okay. this, this is where I kind of need people to be conscious and careful is that crime will go up Mm. and there will be some rioting. Mm. There will also be less access to the internet. Mm. And uh, Bevan, that's why you were singing that song in your head. Um, There will be less access to the internet (laughs) in part. It's unclear if the Wait, hold on. It's, I just want to tell the people before I got yeah. on with Chrissy, this song, Every Time You Go Away, You Take a Piece of Me, was in my head. And I was like, why is this? I wonder if this has to do with Chrissy. And so then I played it. And uh, okay, so it's about the internet. Okay. But you said <laughs> only some carriers, not the Yeah. So I don't think it's something that happens long term, but what we're going to discover, because America, America is about to look like an absolute fool. Um, and that's really, but we've known something like that's coming for a while. Right. Um, I say that as a very progressive person, like, well, hello. Um, we're going to lose, we're going to lose our world power slot. That's fucking sure within the next two to three years, um, because a world power would be able to handle a crisis. Right. Uh You would think anyway. So my warning for people is that right now we're in a little bit of a holding pattern that can feel a little bit, not in a bad way, I think it's good, but kind of a kumbaya space, okay? We are in the honeymoon right now. Yeah. And a lot of that is because people, not, not you and not myself, because Bevan and I are freelancers, but a lot of people are, oh, well, I'm working from home. There's this large swath of the American, you know, population that is middle class, many are upper middle class who have a lot of access, still have access to wealth, still have access to stability, right? Uh-huh. Half of them will lose it. Wow. And then they'll panic. 
And that's really understandable, right? But, you know, these companies are going to run out of funds hot quick. It's not even a phrase. Um, You know, right quick, whatever, right? These companies are going to run out of funds. And by mid-April, a lot of more people will be unemployed. So the good news is I really think that this medically can settle, if people follow the goddamn rules, medically this can settle out by mid-May, which is wonderful, right? And I I mean that genuinely. It's good. It's a good thing. Um, But in the meantime, whereas we have a lot of sort of, and I'm sorry if I sound sort of rude or judgmental, but we have a lot of even millennials or Gen X are sort of being like, well, things are fine because my family, I'm working from home, right? Uh-huh. There's, you can just kind of feel the elitism just pulsing. <laughs> uh, you know, those people are going to be in the exact same fucking spot as the retail workers, right? My partner lost his job last week. He does uh-huh. management and retail. Those people are going to be in the same fucking spot as, you know, restaurant employees. We're all, we're all about to be in the same boat. And I think, unfortunately, there will be some panic. There will be some very real panic. And well, I think because... Because I feel like the panic is there. The panic is there, but it's very much, well, you know, I as an American and staying home and I have enough food and there's money coming into my bank account. Yeah. I, I feel... A, um, and that some of that is just the circles I run in. Right. But I'm not exempt from this. A lot of my clientele are those people who work for nonprofits. They work for a publishing company. They work for blah, blah, blah. Right. Uh-huh. I'll be, I'll be affected in the same way. I'm in that group. So when we, when half of those people lose their jobs, we're going to be in a really different position. Now, again, I think the, the reason that this is positive or the reason that I don't think the world is actually ending is because medically, I think America, again, if we are stringent and if we are wise, can get through this or at least through the worst hump of it by late April, mid to mid-May. You know, in the meantime, a lot of people will lose work. And that's where I worry about people, like just for example, when it comes to the internet, uh, the internet companies don't care, right? If you can't pay your phone bill, they don't give a shit. If you can't pay your internet bill, they don't give a shit. All of a sudden, a bunch of us don't have access to the people we love and we can't leave the house. Yeah. You know, the beauty in this or the, or the best practices in this, right? And something I'm starting to already do because I, I don't live in an apartment complex, but I live in like kind of a row of townhouses, okay? Uh, in midtown Tucson. And so- the good news is, is as soon as we start to see who has symptoms and who doesn't, we can start to build tiny communities in a good way. I mean that genuinely. Like, it's like, it's, it's not necessarily like it's going to be, oh, well, you know, your neighbors at your, it's not going to be your neighbor is at your front door with a gun. It's going to be like your neighbor is at your front door. Who has the most supplies? Who has this? Who has that? How do we learn to operate in small communities again? Yeah. Outside of work outside of capitalism. I think this is genuinely really cool, but people should start fucking reaching out to their neighbors right now. Absolutely. Make your friends. Like I could not be more grateful to be in the neighborhood I'm in that already has a culture of connection and like community. So, and we already have a community food bank that's been operating for years, like in our main house, like, right. 
So like there's ways that we're already interdependent and connected and just even more so. And also these lesbians are so emergency prepared. Like my mom and Pat are prepared for quote unquote a big organized one. lesbians. <laughs> yes, organized lesbians. And like my mom and Pat are prepared for the big one when it comes. You know what I mean? And because it's very likely totally, we're, yeah. we'll be cut off from uh supply chains because of like being so remote and isolated and being on a peninsula. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um and so we're ready for 30 days uh to just hunker down. And probably, you know, given their their pantry stock, gourmet eaten for like more than 30 days. And it's That's incredible, right? Yeah. So yeah, I think this My- also humans are tribal. We're meant to be interconnected to a group of people about 2 to 300 people. Like that's how tribes were. That's how we started. That's how our bodies know how to be is just connected to 300 people interdependent. The recreation of tribes is I think the coolest part about this, yes, right? Absolutely. And and the good news is again the sort of acute or really scary pieces of this get to be done by kind of august so i don't think we're gonna end 2020 being like no one has a job people are dying like i I do think that there's a restructuring that happens in a way that's really beautiful in the meantime though part of the reason bevan it's honestly hard for me to even connect with certain friends or family members is because they're very they haven't been seeing what people like myself have been looking at for three weeks now. Yeah. You know, I've been texting other seers or, or communicating with other seers and I'm just like, Hey, are we all on the same fucking page? Like <laughs> just yeah. texting colleagues of mine, essentially being like, you see that this is real too, right? Like I and my mental health issues have not like wandered down a rabbit hole and ever, all of them are just reflecting back to me. They're either, well, one of two things. Some of them are in true denial, but the, the others aren't. And they're like, no, no, I'm with you. And I'm like, cool. So I just, I kind of want to ask people, not even in a bad way, what are your structures in place if you, if you don't have access to the internet? What are your structures in place? Do you have a flashlight? You know, like shit like that. Yeah. And if we can take, because again, I don't see this happening forever, but I see it getting really acute between now and that's my word of the day, okay? But I see it getting not great between now and mid-April, right? So yeah. it's like, okay, if things go wild between now and mid-April, what, do, what plans do you have in place? And if I'm wrong, which I would be delighted at being wrong, but if, and if I'm wrong, then, oh, well, who cares? You just happen to have like a sack of beans and a flashlight, you know? And now you know your neighbors, great. Yeah. But I think the, the community we're about to all experience and the way that we're about to redefine community is like the coolest thing that's ever happened in, in my lifetime, certainly. Yeah. Right? And in the meantime, it really is, even for somebody like me who can see kind of farther out and is like, this is fun. Love this psychic ability right now. Lol. Um, it really is a day by day game. Yeah. You know? That's, that's all we've got. It's a day-by-day game just with this sort of understanding or acceptance, which I think maybe it would probably be wise for us to all embrace on a larger level, which is that the people who are kind of sitting pretty and are kind of like, oh, well, you know, I work for a nonprofit. I work for this. I work for that. You do right now. I don't know if you will in a month. And hopefully you can get your job back in the midsummer to early fall. But, you know like planned plan to potentially lose it what happens then yeah you know 
So like maybe don't do a ton of panic buying and like, you know, all of that and just like conserve and prepare and know that we figure out where you want to be, who you want to be with and what you need to stay there for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And because, and and we need, I really think we do. We need the next couple of weeks to figure out who has symptoms and who doesn't. Mm -hmm. At least in places, you know, I know Washington has been so much more strict, understandably, like in places like Arizona, Arizona, just like, God, just people just shooting their guns in the air, cowboy style, you know, like we're impossible to wrangle. (laughs) So we're not doing nearly as well down here. Um, We need to figure out who is actually having symptoms and who is not. And then we can figure out who needs to be sort of put in a corner, loved in a corner, taken care of in that corner. Right. But you know, and then which groups can operate as communities, but start building your tiny community now. Yeah. Right. And for God's sake, don't get on a plane. I'm having people DM me being like, should I go to over here? No, you know, a week ago, honey. Yeah. You're not going anywhere for shit. So if we can, if we can, and Bev, and I swear to you, you are thriving. You are in a perfect spot. Thanks. So glad my life fell apart and I ended up here. And then Your I- life fell apart so that you could survive the Loki apocalypse. <laughs> Congratulations. It's so good. I mean, like I couldn't, I remember like we had a, fu- a friend phone call, like the day I kind of realized I had to leave LA and you mm-hmm. said something so powerful to me that I took away that really helped me, which was like, if a woman as powerful as you couldn't make it work in LA, it was not meant to happen. And yeah, I was like, I was like, girl, if you didn't pull this off, shoot. (laughs) And it's so hard for me to like, let myself go and to allow myself to have failed at something objectively. Right. Like, cause I thought that I I was in LA. I thought I, God put me there for a reason, but in many ways, God did put me there for a reason. I think I did need it because all the people I met in LA, like my just influenced me and I got to gather that and those connections and then take it with me to the next stage of my life. And, you know, and it, it's annoying because it feels like the whole LA thing is very wrapped up in my ex because I would not have been there of with course. If, if not for her. I mean, I never wanted to live in LA. Like it was never, I never wanted to move back to California and like, but I, I loved it there and I kind of, I thrived there. I felt great and I did so much and I create, I wouldn't have created Fact a Dance Party if I hadn't been there. Like, right. I, and I'm, I know I'm meant to do that work and now I feel like I'm here and it's great. Like by like month two, I was like, I love it here. I want to stay. Like I told my mom, I was like, I don't want to move into town. I want to stay here. Like, can I, can I really just stay? And so we figured out a way for me to stay because the summer is the busy time when all the snowbirds come back. Sure. So we figured away. Yeah. And here's the thing. You very well might end up in LA later. That's true. I think, I think. Again, this is a low key apocalypse. We, so the society doesn't end. Yeah. Thank God. But it does get restructured. Thank, thank Lord on high. Yeah. And I think that I'll probably, I mean, to be honest, I don't think I'll ever move back to LA. I think I'll, I, my roots are here on the Olympic Peninsula, at least as long as my mom is with us and, mm-hmm. or at least in this realm. And mm-hmm. I, I love like getting to be here. It's so beautiful. And I think if I go back to LA, it'll be like as a second home or like a place that I visit and like not anything. Sure long-term because it's like it it doesn't it calls to me because I think I still have work to do there but like it's not um and also let's talk about tv writing because I actually (laughs) 
have a TV show idea. We don't have to talk about it on the podcast, but I want to, mm-hmm. I love that you're a psychic who wanted to do TV writing. Cause I was like, Oh, I want to write a TV <laughs> show with a psychic. So <laughs> <laughs> um, as long as we keep the internet, we can keep connecting. Well, yeah. And if you go down, everybody assume that if you don't, can't get a hold of someone, don't assume that they're dead. <laughs> yes. I'm going to assume, I'm going to be assume Bevan that you are eating well. Okay. Yeah. If I lose access to you, uh-huh. I'll be because like, I really think that the internet going down thing or us not having access to the internet in the same way we typically do is short term. This yeah. it's just we are understandably so connected and our whole lives are so ingrained into the internet that that is I'm a little worried going to be the thing that sets people off. Yeah, I think what's kind of amazing is um, so there's this movie called Fantastic Fungi that I saw when I first moved up here, um, and I really think like. The next decade, the age of Aquarius is all about us like being interconnected, like the mycelium networks are underneath our feet mm. in the soil. Yeah. If mushrooms only represent 20% of the experience of a fungi because like it's the mycelium network that is really the, it's not a plant, it's not an animal. Mushrooms are a different thing. Mm-hmm. And so the yes. mycelium networks are underneath. They're their own team. They're their own team and they connect to the trees and they help the trees talk to each other. And like, it's, it's a connection point. And I really think that like our connect, our, our mycelium network is the internet and we are the mushrooms. And it's like, how can we thrive in this mushroom place? Right? Like, Ooh, um, metaphor. Yes. Yeah. Right. Like, and so I think like the internet is a, is a foundation for our connections. Right. Because like, it does help us con- like, learn and and connect right but I also think there's a super important part of human to human connection that I think this like neighborhood situation is really opening up for us I think that's a really good way I think that's a really good way to put it yeah so yeah I I don't know I answered your coronavirus question in a sort of bummer way I'm so sorry I don't think it's a bummer way at all because uh, can you let's talk okay so let's add to the that this is the hard stuff that's probably going to happen so be prepared for that but let's let's vision for like what's best possible outcome like what's great scenarios what are things that can like really help people thrive through and out of this Okay. I think the, I mean, I, the, the fascinating, the first thing we're going to see is we're just going to see Republicans pretending they were socialists all along. <laughs> we are already seeing that. <laughs> um, like literally I, I, there, I think this was a, a times quote, but somebody, somebody's headline was like, Oh, you know, Republicans are taking like the democratic 2020 best hits. Right. And it's true. I mean, it's essentially there were, even though it's unfair that it's being taken away from platforms like, you know, Bernie Sanders, for example, um, it's, it's going to be something that literally makes or breaks us if we don't take on these types of policy changes. Right. So I think even by the end of 2020, by late 2020, I'm looking at, you know, November, which is of course an important month for us um, in America, but by November, December, you're really going to see a sort of language shift. Uh, and I think Democrats and progressives and socialists in particular will be pretty pissed by that simply because it will be a, a terrible capitalist co-op of their concepts. But the things that we have all understandably been asking for as progressives or as uh, socialists are going to become a part of the mainstream. I don't think it will happen quickly and it certainly won't happen flawlessly, right? 
But that I think is something to genuinely look forward to, right? I think some version of Medicare for all is literally inevitable. Yeah. Within the next two to four years. And that is, even if regardless of how the election goes, I think that's wonderful, right? I think that's so exciting. Um, What else are really good things? they just, they keep talking about something they want me to add right now about really good stuff is like animals. <laughs> it, like they want me to talk about animals and like people's connection to animals and people like really prioritizing the needs of animals. Unclear if they're talking about that, like on a larger geographic level, or if they're just talking about that as like, this is my dog. I don't know, but it's this idea of kind of that interwovenness that you were speaking to. Um, there's also a fall, this is really, I think this is cool, though it's a larger concept, there's a fall of celebrity that happens, we're already seeing it. Yeah, we are already seeing it. People don't give a shit, you know, and I think that's really beautiful. (laughs) I think that's really beautiful and exciting because it's the understanding, and this is what, some version of this happens, I think, in most cultural human shifts, which is the understanding that each of us is special, valuable, important, and divine. Yeah. Versus idols, right? Yeah. Um, so the fall of celebrity, the fall of the idea of, well, what makes you valuable in American society is to be wealthy, you know? Yeah. I'm actually a little afraid for those people. <laughs> I don't know if this ends great for them. Um, you know, like, it's, it's this idea of the, quote, cooler thing or the more valuable thing is to be a part of the cohort, to be a part of the group, to see yourself as a part of the collective versus being like, well, I'm special and you know this because these are my four Gucci bags. Yeah. That really falls. It totally falls. And you know what? That's such a, I, as a woman who is liberated from external validation, I can tell you when your Gucci bags go away, your value is still there. You are still totally exactly as you are. There's nothing that makes you less special or more special because of the things you have or who, who you are. You already are special. And like, I think that I love And I also see a follow celebrity just already in the first what I would call like that first, that's this honeymoon period is like the Corona art renaissance because everyone like party, <laughs> yeah. party was on a live and she was like, I got a single to drop, but I don't have any pictures taken for it. And I was like, bitch, you are self-made. Take a picture of yourself, do a selfie, have that be your picture or use fan art. You know what I mean? Like there's, totally. she's a DIY maven. Her- I'm like, did you forget that you made yourself that did you really know record label? <laughs> Cardi, Cardi is a survivor. Yes. Right? She's a survivor. Obviously, she's a survivor. And which means that in. her... And what? Tapped into God. Like, I really oh, think... Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I'm obsessed with that woman. Yeah. She's a delight, right? Yeah. So, basically, people who have that... Because, you know, we've gotten... I've gotten so tired of this idea of authenticity on social media. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ugh, I don't care. God, stop saying... You know? But it will start, it will start to become really obvious who is authentic or who is not yeah right it always comes and some out. of that there's it always comes out and so we're gonna see if somebody like cardi who has genuine talent mm-hmm. right Ge- leg- legitimate and genuine talent right and is compelling and is sharp and is of the people in whatever way you want to call that is going to keep her clout yeah absolutely and people who don't have that aren't yeah. And like, I, you know, even at, at the thing about the Corona art Renaissance is people are putting things out. People are going live a lot on Instagram. Mm-hmm. People are like giving a lot. And like, 
expressing their gifts a lot. And I love that. And I think that's the beautiful part so far that I'm seeing. And what I'm noticing is because there's like this like tidal wave of more content, like way more than usual. I don't scroll anymore. I'm just selectively going to who I want to connect to and receive info from and experience the art of because there's just so much. And I think that because like I was like, who am I with my little podcast to compete with like Ellen being on Instagram every day? You know what I mean? In that same, in that way. And I was like, Oh, who cares? Like I'm, I'm meaningful to whoever I'm meaningful to. And Ellen's meaningful to whoever she's meaningful to. And we're all creating right now because we want something to stitch us together. And, totally. and I think it will really show who's a, who's this, like it, it does take celebrity culture down a notch because we're all on the same playing field. We're all on, on these limited platforms. We don't have big production companies right now um, to like shine up all the pennies. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, I think that's really fascinating in a cool way, in yeah. a way that's really, really neat. Um, though, obviously economically, I wouldn't want it to last too long. Yeah. I think the fall of all of these structures has so much beauty at the end yeah so much beauty at the end and in the I also don't want to be too I don't want to be too like this is so great and here's why right simply because the cost this is the cost of some of this beauty is at the loss of or risk of more marginalized individuals a hundred percent. Our system is cracked and broken and we are just seeing where it has been cracked and broken and like people getting, it makes me, it, it breaks my heart that there are people who are unhoused who have no protection against this, that who, right. have, who don't get to FaceTime their friends because they don't have devices. You know what I mean? Who don't get to. Uh, right. Just, so, right. So for the next, and then what will be really fascinating is when we watch people and I would like to fully put myself in this group like me or whatever who have income right now and then maybe lose it for a time, uh-huh. be it a long time or a short time, I'm not sure. Um, start to go into, and this is sort of why I was, you were like, Oh, well, there's already panic. I'm like, Oh, this is a different kind of panic. <laughs> this is a white people, middle-class panic. Right? Yeah. yeah. You know, w- watching that sort of set in, what does that mean? What does that look like? Right. Um, who, if, if we're realistic and if we're honest, that kind of panic is very different than the panic of the poor because the pan- poor people and people of color are used to that level of survival. Yeah. Frankly, I'm not. Yeah. So my panic is going to look and feel very different. Yeah. And be distinctly more white. You know? Um, and I hope not. So just is there going to be a lot of beauty that we see that feels so obvious and apparent and almost well-earned, I guess it's hard not to use phrases that aren't connected to capitalist thinking, Uh, you know, but like, will we see those things by the end of the year? I hope so. And I think so. Right. Yeah. In the meantime, what is lost? I don't know a lot. Yeah. That's all. Um, not to make like the hardest right turn that ever existed, but I definitely want to hit this topic before we wind up is, can you talk about your experience watching Love is Blind as a- Oh my God, please. This is all I ever, oh God. So a very important, just for your following, a very important piece of my brand is being obsessed with reality television. 
Uh, and I really post as much reality TV content as I do like spiritual content. <laughs> in the stories, not on the grid. On the grid, it's mostly. not on the grid, but in the stories, <laughs> absolutely. I'm like, I'm like, here's what we need to know about The Bachelor. <laughs> I'm sure I've lost so many followers who like this girl is holy, and I'm like, this is why The Bachelor matters. Um, uh, yes, I am obsessed with love. Is blind wait what ask me specific questions so okay so i don't like the bachelor i i watched one season the charlie o'connell season uh like 10 years ago well, back in the day yeah yes it, it, and you know i was obsessed with it and i would call and uh non-consensually report what happened on the episode to my friend brian um uh, but then like right. i just never get into it again like the personalities never clicked for me and like manufactured love environments like are really and, and then i watched that whole unscripted show on uh, Lifetime, whatever that thing was called, um, about the making of them. And so, but Love is Blind, like there were enough smart people talking about it, including you, um, that I was like, okay, I'll try this. And it was on Netflix and I was able to binge the whole thing because I didn't start it in real time. And so I just like, what, I, the fact that like this show exists in this time where we need a binge. Oh, yes, I, mean? yes. Oh, I, I couldn't man. stop watching it. It wasn't even like by the middle of the show, once the couples were together and established, it was almost unwatchable. Like some of it was oh, just too oh, long. Absolutely. Yeah. The episodes could have been a half hour each, but like it was so compelling. And, 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 the, and I had to race to finish it. Cause I had to find out, like go on Instagram and stalk all these people. Um, I had a very, very similar thing. Like I just kept skipping through fights between Giannina and Damien. I forgot his name because they were so painful and actually very triggering for me as somebody yeah. who grew up in an emotionally abusive household. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then I was like, well, I gotta know. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Emotional abuse. Um, oh, also rampant, rampant in what was blind. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh my God. So much, so much. Um, the guy who like came out to his, person his fiance mm -hmm. yes being someone who is sexually fluid he didn't even use that uh -huh. word. but he didn't even give her a chance to be compassionate and kind he just went so defensive so fast i was very upset with his behavior yeah actually because he yeah do we want to talk so spoil are spoilers happening are yeah let's cool just spoil things? it because if you do if you're gonna watch this just turn off this podcast now and come back so you can listen yeah. to what we say, because I wish that I had saved some of the smart things people said when they were spoiling and I didn't know what they were saying or who they were talking yes. about. Yes. Oh my God. Okay. So I believe his name was Carlton and he was with Diamond. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah I think that's Okay, cool. Yeah. So Carlton is bisexual and he was really manipulative in how he tried to sort of disclose his sexuality to her and then in how he didn't allow her to have any sort of emotion whatsoever upon her hearing that news in her defense after she's already engaged to this man, yeah. right? And then he just truly flips a switch and starts turning things around on her and being really cruel to her. And misogynistic. When she, deeply misogynistic and saying really unkind things that were, it, when she truly was just like, I need a minute to ask some normal and healthy question. Yeah. And I was, that I did not care for. I mean, this is, you know, I respect that person as being a bisexual individual, but I did not care for his behavior at all. Yeah, absolutely. Fuck that. Fuck that, fuck him. It was so sad because, like, she was just trying to understand, and you could tell, you know, in this, so in this social experiment, these people are falling in love uh, through a wall, 
Um, and mm-hmm. that's like deep. And you know what? I think that you true. I think it's true. I think you can absolutely fall in love with someone you've never seen. I think you absolutely yeah, I can agree. connect soul to soul just through stories and and voice and connection. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also, I think the the proof is in the pudding because like out of the five couples who made it through the couples retreat, uh, or six mm-hmm. total if you count Carlton and Diamond, because they broke their engagement mm-hmm. off like immediately after the pods. Um, yes, they like the fact that if there were six couples established in the pods, three of them made it long-term like a year and a half after the, the thing. I can't believe it took them so long to get released. Like, can you imagine having to keep your spouse a secret on Instagram for a year and a half? Yeah, that is truly bizarre, but yes. (laughs) And like, it's, I mean, it's just kind of amazing that it did work. Like it did create lasting bonds for certain people. I'm so curious about the casting though. Cause like, I felt like the women on it were very conventionally attractive reality show women. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. For they, sure. looked, they looked bachelorish. Um, and mm-hmm. then, but the guys were not bachelor cute. Like they were middle of the road guys. I would say like in terms of like normative beauty standards, would you agree? I, I'd say that's true. I think they just absolutely followed kind of the the hetero equation of like oh these men have potentially impressive careers Um, and so here they are now okay you think it's a career thing and something I thought I think it's more connected to like career and how we like gauge men's quote value okay in our society yeah um because you look at for example if you look at a lot of like the bachelor like the bachelorette contestants who in that show are all men right vying for the bachelorette like there are some cute ass boys you know attractive people all across the board but it's sort of like oh you know matt 27 content creator (laughs) right (laughs) which means he's an instagram model (laughs) right you know stuff like like it's like it's very clear that the what anybody is doing outside of the show paradigm doesn't really matter uh-huh. Right. So they are casting based on looks and in the bachelor series and the bachelor world, they are casting based on like drama potential. Yeah, totally. totally. Whereas from a hetero perspective, you know, women are only valuable if they have this quote conventional beauty. So yeah. we're going to start there as our baseline. Yeah. Okay. That totally makes sense. I also was like thinking about like, well, when you're casting this, you want people who are ready for marriage Um, I think Mm -hmm. women statistically are much readier for marriage earlier in life because like we're socialized to want that men are socialized to like Mm -hmm. be out and like I think more and more are socialized away from commitment which is weird Um, yes and so I I, I was like do they need like these b-level guys so that they want marriage is that it because that's that's probably some of it yeah I bet you're right I was just curious about that and like, but also like love that like three of those couple, like, okay, so one of them didn't get hitched to the altar, which was a huge, like wild uh, moment for me. I did not see it coming. And also they produce it. They I did these weddings. They produce these weddings where like they have to say, I don't at the altar. They can't just break up, which I think was good. Smart of the reality producers to make them hold off on breaking up because it was more dramatic that way. Um, sure. Yes. At the altar, which is just really emotionally violent, in my opinion. But these shows are very oh, oh deeply. Oh God. <laughs> but this I, is a traumatic experience. Yeah. Totally. Without question. Yeah. And but I loved that, like the 
the the guy like one of the couples that I don't'ted at the altar um they're still together and he was just like we're mm-hmm. just not ready for marriage and like and you're not ready for marriage specifically to this and he was 100% correct yeah he was totally correct and they're still happy they're still together and they're quarantined together so you know even though they don't they still live together <laughs> that is sweet yeah it's totally sweet um and also curious about like what your thoughts were about that guy um what was his name? Brody Baxter. Barnett. Barnett. <laughs> what your thoughts were the about just like boring man on the planet. So boring. But like everyone loves him. Like he had three. I don't. God. Anyway, please finish your question. I'm just curious, like your thoughts on Barnett. <laughs> Because he was deciding between three, and then there was this really dramatic woman who was clearly not ready for love and had done none of her personal emotional work. Um, And so she thought that Barnett was going to... Anyway, I don't want to ruin it all, but I want to hear your thoughts about Barnett and his choices and him as a person. He's just big and white. (laughs) That's the only reason anyone liked him. (laughs) And you could understand energetically, not in a bad way, I don't think big white people are bad, you know, or big white men in, in this case, but you could understand energetically, even the women who were talking to him through the wall in what they call the pods, uh-huh. that that's what he embodied. Yeah. He embodies a very, to use a word I used previously in this episode, he's just a mediocre white dude. <laughs> And that's a lot of what women are in our country are trained to want. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Because we don't see it as mediocrity and we don't see it Mm -hmm. as someone who's just like kind of scooting by on privilege. We just see it as like, oh, he's doing what he's meant to do. He's a white man being a white man. Um, Sure. And I remember I was particularly, and I I don't dislike him. I'm not even anti-Barnett. Yeah. Really. I don't don't think he did any, he didn't do anything abusive. He didn't do anything overly negative. He was fine. Truly. I just didn't understand that he was so, why he was so popular and in his sort of supposed calling card in this show, when the women were like dating him through the wall was that he was quote funny. I'm like, nothing you're saying is funny. Yeah. I didn't laugh. He wasn't funny. No, there's not. I mean, I, it was even, I was watching it thinking, thank God I'm not on this show because no one is funny. And I only date funny people. (laughs) Same actually. (laughs) Right. I'm like, Funny is like a literal non-negotiable for me. Like no one, God, no one on this is humorous at all. Yeah. Um, because I think if you have a natural sense of humor, you would understand that that's a nightmare. That entire show setup is a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, basically Barnett is very boring. I guess I can give him sort of theoretically credit for not being terrible, I, I guess. Um, but that's... I was I was so astounded by how hard women were vying for his attention. Me too. But that would make sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And yeah. shouts out to Mark, who I thought was a delight. Oh. But I he the always one was- date stubborn Latinos. Oh yeah, that guy. I like Mark. He Mark. was very stubborn. He was very oh I, so you know stubborn. I kind of want to see him on the next season of Love Is Blind. I want him back in the pods because like there's something. I mean, I think it goes against the show unless he uses a fake name. Um, cause then the women who are on the show next time. Right. Be- yes. Um, but I liked him a lot. I liked his stick to itiveness. I like that he takes commitment seriously and I like that he's totally. a man who knows what he wants and pursues yes. it. 
he has a strong but gentle masculinity. Um, yes, I loved that. I yeah. Agree. And like, and he really does want to be a protector and a provider. And that the woman he was engaged to was just so obsessed with finding any reason that that wouldn't work. And also, I think was also very looks obsessed, which mm-hmm. I really feel like when you're looks obsessed about other people, it has to do with where you're seeking your validation and where you're understanding your validation. Um, and yeah, so I just like, and I, I didn't, it didn't surprise me when she you know, didn't feel satisfied with his looks. And it didn't surprise me when that other woman, um, that very unremarkable couple that I thought for sure would get married and didn't. Um, yes, I, I know who you're talking about. Married, except that they're, both of their parents had met and married very swiftly. And I was like, oh, this is so nice for them. Uh, and then they, like, he was great. I thought he was a class act. And I thought she was really obsessed with looks in a way that- I, I agree. I think yep. got away from her and like, um, and I'm glad to hear that post show he's dating someone and feels like he's done a lot of growth. Yes, I agree. We're all very much on his side. Interestingly, interestingly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the most, fa- it, it was, it was just love is blind. If you need a reason to watch it is a master class in attachment style theory. <laughs> yes, it is. That's not even a joke. That's a statement. Oh, Evan. It's the truth. It's so the truth. Read the book Attachment. Order it right now. Order the book Attachment before the internet goes away. Read it um, and download all the Love is Blind episodes from Netflix on your computer and then you can watch it and read Attachment. As a former teacher, I was just like, God, we could re- you could really just teach these concepts and then watch this show. And it would be su- such ent- excellent learning. Um, it's true though. Like I... It, it, yeah, it, the, a lot of the sort of, quote, failures, I guess, of the show, if we're considering failure, like, not getting married within the premise of the show, yeah. were particularly avoidant women, and I myself can be an, an avoidant woman, yeah. right, who is typically in hetero relationships, right? So, like, you know, are avoidant women sort of being like, well, I don't know why I can't fall in love. And just very every single viewer in America being like, because you only choose unavailable mean people. Ugh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I have um, to say, as someone who has done a lot of healing work, I had the recent realization um, that like there was this, I've had a series of Scorpios that I've loved in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and like they're Scorpios who like, basically do the typical Scorpio thing of swimming in a sea of secrets. Like you never really know the whole personality you think you do. Cause like I have a Scorpio. Yep. So I love knowing people's secrets. I love when people confide in me and I used to get really intoxicated about that in relationships. And then I realized I was like, Oh, if people are swimming in a sea of secrets, it means like you're never getting the whole story. So you can do a lot of projection work and like project what you think should be true about this person onto them and fall in love with this idea rather than like the actual human. And now that I've done so much work to like uncap myself and to like love and validate myself and find my own security. Like I'm seeking, I'm not dating right now just because I haven't met somebody I want to date. Like I seek no validation outside of myself. And I feel a lot of compassion right now for people who are addicted to Tinder and external validation from like connection, like physical touch with other people. Like they don't get to have that during this quarantine. And I'm sure people are still swiping. Yeah. Yeah and secretly meeting up with tinder people like and you know defeating our quarantine efforts but like that there that validation is a a literal addiction and like 
it's, it's so hard to like step away from that and do the personal work and growth work and emotional work to be okay being by yourself and like not needing validation from someone else, but it's worth it because you get better, more authentic connection. Right. And the hard thing is a lot of intimacy because attachment style theory is just all about intimacy as a concept. A lot of intimacy is not very sexy. No, it's so not. It's like, it's leaning into conflict because you need the honesty to come out so you can grow together. Yes, that's what it is. And that's not to say, hopefully if you have a relationship where you do want sex and that's consensual, yada, yada, you have that at times, right? But like, that's not what it is most of the time. (laughs) Oh my God. I like to say in polyamory, if you're having more processing than you are sex, you're probably not doing it right. Um, but like, it's true. Like with mm-hmm. polyamory comes more necessary communication. Cause you got to lean into all of that stuff that, that gets churned up and nobody is raised. Rarely people are raised in like a non-monogamous environment where they're taught that there's different ways of love and attachment and connection. Mm-hmm. And so people who are more inherently polyamorous have to do so much learning and, and, and unfurling of like these ideas that kind of cloud them. Oh my God. Totally. And, I, and I'm in a, in a happily in a monogamous relationship and it doesn't, you know, change the fact that there's a piece of me that's still so interested in being wooed and pursued, yeah. like theoretically by like other random people. And I'm not, that's not happening. Right. Yeah. But the, the, the reality of a long-term monogamous relationship is that like the idea of wooing or the idea of, of pursuit and the, of like something being sexy or fun, or, oh, this is new. Right. Yeah. is really different and has to be cultivated in new ways. Yeah. And so it changes, at least for me as somebody who's like, I've been in a relationship with my partner for my male assist partner for uh, three and a half years. Right. Yeah. And it's really changed my understanding of what love is in a good way, in a healthy way, I think in a way that's much more secure, but yeah, it's different. Yeah. Whole, whole other world. It's a whole other world. Um, Chrissy Tolly, this is probably the longest podcast episode I've recorded yet. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> it's so long. It's great. I think there's probably like two people listening to it right now. <laughs> no, I'm going to guess, like, given my listenership, I'm going to guess, like, it'll be 100 to start, and then it'll be more, like, I get a lot on the back end, of course, as people listen to back episodes. So, but I think super valuable. I'm so glad people hung in there for all of our myriad conversations. Yeah. And yeah, no, I'm, I'm warming people who make it all the way to the end, but if y'all have nothing else to do, hi, thank you for being here. Yeah. And also like you can find Chrissy at Chrissy Tolly.com. It's C-H-R-I-S-S-Y-T-O-L-L-Y.com, right? T-O-L-L-E-Y.com. E-Y. I always forget if there's an E-Y or not. Okay. I'm glad you clarified that. And then also you're Chrissy Tolly on Instagram. Yes. Highly recommend yes. great stories. Uh, really, I love your new branding, by the way. The um, memes you're doing are so smart. Thank you. I was going to do that before Loki Apocalypse, and then, you know, they just coincided. So yeah, it's fine. Absolutely. <laughs> you, were, you were rebranding for the Apocalypse. Um, yeah. I loved the pictures you took last week. Um, not last week, last year, towards the end of the year. No, September. Oh, thank you. Yeah, they were beautiful. Thank and you. Totally fit into your branding. Um, and I just, I love to watch bosses boss up and like, just see the, the ways that things kind of unfold and roll out. I just, it's so satisfying for me to watch people like you step into their gifts and just keep rolling out and keep 
being available and connecting to folks. And anyway, I just think you're amazing. And I'm so happy to know you. And Bevan, thank you for having me and for supporting me. It's really, really nice. And I really appreciate it. Oh, I love you so much. And uh, also folks, if you are in a position to hire a psychic right now, Chrissy's books are usually booked up five weeks out. And because of the apocalypse, there's more availability. <laughs> there's more space, y'all. You know, come on in. Love and, to have you. Yeah, and if the internet goes down, there's always the phone. So That's true. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. So uh, anyway, um, I love you and um, probably have you on again. Oh, that would be so cool. Yay. Cool. That would be so cool. Yay. Okay. Yay. Okay, so I'm turning this on. See?